roughly you can say that about a quarter of cases would be something to do with the woman, about a quarter will be something to do with the sperm, about a quarter we won't find a cause and the other quarter is a combination of of male and female issues. So it's very much a male issue as well as a female issue. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. My name is Noreen Turley and today we're going to discuss fertility. This is such a sensitive subject and I am honoured and delighted to be joined by Professor Mary Wingfield, who is the National HSE Clinical Lead for Assisted Human Reproduction Services. Mary has worked almost 30 years as a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist at the National Maternity Hospital Dublin, where she established the Merian Fertility Clinic in 1999, and this is a not-for-profit organisation. She has a long-standing interest in fertility legislation and the public funding of fertility treatments. She is also an author, which she didn't tell me about, but I found out. So Mary, I can't imagine the developments and changes that you've seen with fertility treatments in your career with fertility over the last 30 years, with the innovations in technology, but also the attitudes and culture around fertility in Ireland. And we'll talk about all of that later, but I suppose we should start at the beginning, really, and say, like, what is fertility and how would somebody know if they had fertility problems? Okay, so that's a really good place to start, Noreen. So I suppose at its very basic level, fertility means that if a person or a couple want to have a baby, that they're able to do that. And for the vast majority of people, that is possible. And I suppose we all grow up as children thinking that we just, if we want to become mothers or fathers and that that's the way life is. But I suppose, unfortunately, especially as time goes on, we are seeing that lots of people can have problems in actually achieving that wonderful goal of having a child. So at a very basic level, in order to get pregnant, the woman needs to have an egg. A man needs to have a sperm. The sperm and the egg need to meet up and form an embryo. And that has to then implant in the woman's womb and grow into a pregnancy. So problems can arise at any level along that journey. Yeah. And Mary, something that we've been hearing about, obviously, the egg needs to meet the sperm. And it, it sounds so simple, but it's so complex, really, isn't it? It's incredible because it happens naturally and we all know people can have unwanted pregnancies or unplanned pregnancies. It does happen out there just by nature. But when we actually try to do it in the laboratory or we try to do it in a clinic, we realise how complicated it is. And it is really a miracle that it happens naturally for so yeah, many people. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's totally fascinating. I find it a really fascinating. Even after all those years, all, all these years, you still find it so fascinating every day, probably. Absolutely. And we're it. learning more and more all the time about, you know, we can watch videos of those very early hours where an egg is being fertilized wow. by a sperm. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it is mind blowing. But given all that, and I suppose that's one of the problems, we have all these great developments and you see wonderful programs on television about all these modern inventions and developments. But there's still a lot of people that we can't help. So even if we are to help them achieve their goal, they go through an awful lot in order to do that. So fertility treatment is particularly traumatizing and difficult for some people. And, you know, it can be absolutely heartbreaking. So... I'm delighted that the HSE are providing services and that we are 
at long last looking at it seriously in Ireland and produce, providing services for yeah. people because it, it can be a really harrowing journey. Yeah. And Mary, what are the common problems that people have with fertility? So if we t- if we take women, the, the woman's side to begin with, so a woman needs to be ovulating and producing an egg every month. So we're all born with our eggs in our ovaries, but they lie dormant for the, you know, most of the time. But each month, two or three eggs will start developing and then one or two of those will continue on to develop. And around the middle of the woman's menstrual cycle, will ovulate. And that's when a woman is fertile and has an egg that can be fertilized. So for women who are in heterosexual relationships, if they have sex around that time, then hopefully they will conceive because they'll get sperm from their partner. If women are in same sex relationships or single, they will need to have donor sperm to get pregnant around that time. But either way, that ovulation is important. So some women will have problems with ovulation. The most common cause is a condition called polycystic ovaries, um, which is becoming a little bit more common in our society. Other causes of ovulation problems would be the opposite women who exercise a lot and are very underweight and that can cause ovulation problems or there are some genetic disorders or cancer treatment can affect your ovaries. So those are just ovulation related issues. So if a woman has a regular cycle and is getting a period every month, every 28 to 35 days, then she's almost certainly ovulating. But if she's only getting a period every two or three months or she's getting no periods at all, then she's not going to be able to get pregnant or it's very unlikely that she will. And she should certainly start looking for help. So we often think that it's maybe the woman that has the issues when it comes to fertility. But I know there is issues, obviously, with the male as well involved. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important point um, because we know that it takes two to to get a baby, you know, whether that's a heterosexual relationship or whether it's a single woman or, a you know, a same sex woman using donor sperm. You do need the sperm and the eggs. And we know that up to 50 percent of cases of of infertility or difficulty conceiving or difficulty getting pregnant. 50%? Up to 50% really? have a sperm issue involved. Yeah. Very roughly, like it, it really depends on what population you look at, but roughly you can say that about a quarter of cases would be something to do with the woman. About a quarter will be something to do with the sperm. About a quarter we won't find a cause and the other quarter is a combination of Okay. male and female issues. Yeah. So up to a half a case of the sperm might not be the only problem, but there will be an, ex, you know, an additional problem with the sperm. So it's very much a male issue as well as a female issue. And men, you know, I, I suppose have traditionally found it more difficult to talk about fertility, but I think there is a sea change coming there as well. And we need to be really careful to include men in all the conversations and when we look at education, we need to include men in that whole education piece about yeah. fertility and what's important. And no, absolutely. Because when you think about anything like contraception, it's you always think about the woman. When you think about anything to do with fertility, I suppose we automatically, because is that just because the woman carries the baby? So you assume that it's there, it's them that need to make the decisions about it or are the ones who need to be healthy to have the baby. But obviously they need the sperm as well. So it's just a really important point for males to be aware of. And when do you think we should start talking about fertility or when should we start thinking about it even? Yeah, so I would love to see it being part of education in schools and universities and just from the early days, because as I said earlier, we all grow up thinking that oh, we just will have children in the future. One of the big problems in modern society is that people are getting pregnant or deciding to have their families later in life 
And we know that women are most fertile in their early to mid 20s then fertility starts going down as early as 30. And certainly over the age of 35, it starts going down really quickly. And by the time a woman is 43, her chances of getting pregnant naturally or even with IVF are very low. So I, I think a lot of people don't realise that and our society has drifted over the years. So like in, in my parents' generation, everyone would have started having their children in their early 20s. And that's, yeah. how we, that's how we ended up with families with 10 and 11 children. Now, not advocating that for a minute, but yeah. now people are waiting until they're in their mid to late 30s. You know, a lot of people are fine, but a lot of people miss out and can miss the boat. And, and a lot really of people, difficult. I suppose, I suppose a lot of people are studying, then they want to get yeah. the job, they want to get the house, they want to get the car, they want to have it all set up before they decide to have a baby. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, no, absolutely. And again, there are studies showing that the age of becoming independent is going up and up. So yeah. people are staying at school longer than more people are going to college. So they're still in education. The housing crisis certainly isn't helping. So lots of people now are living in their family homes. So in a, a couple, a male, maybe in his family home, the woman in her family home, or even if they're both in the same house, they're sharing the house with their parents. And that's not conducive to having a good sexual life and becoming pregnant. So all those factors are going into, uh, you know, going to it. My strong advice to people would be that if they're in a situation where they have a partner and they think they would like to have children, try not to put it off for things that that can wait. So I met a young woman recently whose mother had an early menopause and that can be familiar. So there is a risk that this young woman will have an early menopause, mm. but she's doing a master's. So she doesn't want to do anything about it until after she's finished her master's. And it's very hard to convince someone like that, that you can do a master's when you're 60. I you know. can't get pregnant. I know, but unfortunately, once you get over those, 40, those and things, they are really difficult. Yeah. So I'm not saying I can't decide for anyone and they're really difficult decisions and I'm not for a minute minimizing them. But I suppose people just need to think about it carefully. And because I've seen so many people who have been on the pill all through their 30s and then they get into their early 40s and they desperately, desperately want a baby. And so does their partner. And they find it really difficult and they're prone to having miscarriages because, again, that's another problem that happens as we get older. Miscarriages are much more common. So it's heartbreaking. And, and these people look back on their 30s and think, I wish I'd known that yes. this might have happened. You know, yeah. so I suppose we really need that educational piece out there so that people can make informed decisions about it. And not everyone wants to have a baby or have yeah. children, but, you know, at least people need the information so that they can... And Mary, do you think, do you think that people, is it just our society now? We want, you know, we want it all. We want everything. And we're like, well, you can't tell me that I need to have my baby in my 20s or my early 30s. I mean, I'm if I want to wait till my 40s, I'm going to wait. But the, I suppose we have to understand the the risks then involved in waiting, you know, and accepting that yeah, there is risks involved. I think it's all about education yeah. and that people know those facts and that they know that, you know, if if a woman is 30 and she decides she wants to to try for a family, she's got an 80 to 90 percent chance of being successful naturally. If she waits until she's 40, she's got about a 40 percent chance of being within a year of being able to get pregnant. And then, you know, she's then she's 41. If she goes for, you know, she's having problems and she needs IVF, then you're down to 10 percent 
10% success rate with IVF, you know. So people just need to know that and then they can make whatever decision they want to make. Now, I mean, another thing that I think we won't get into today is freezing eggs. And that's another side of it. You know, that's another whole yeah. discussion about should you freeze eggs when you're younger so that you can have children later. Yeah. But that's not without its problems as well. And other conditions that affect women would be endometriosis would be one where you get, you get tissue in the woman's pelvis that should be in her uterus or in her womb and you get it outside her womb in her pelvis that can cause inflammation in her pelvis and can cause scarring so in women who have bad endometriosis they can have fertility issues because when the the sperm and the egg are trying to fertilize in the fallopian tube if there's scarring or inflammation it can interfere with that we know that infections like chlamydia can cause damage to the woman's pelvis and to her fallopian tubes and cause blocked fallopian tubes. So I suppose it's, you know, this is all part of the education around safe sex. And it's so important for young women to be practicing safe sex and using condoms in their relationships and also for them to be aware of the HSE service for free STI testing and to know what to do if they suspect that they might have picked up an infection. And it's education about that as well, Mary. Exactly. People to realise. Yeah. Chlamydia can cause infections in men also, which can affect their sperm count and can affect. So it's important for men as well. So this is where we all need to be just aware of it and a little bit more thoughtful around the whole area. Cancer treatments can affect fertility in men and in women, you know, because the cells in in your ovary or your testis are very sensitive to chemotherapy and radiotherapy, so they can get damaged during cancer treatment. Um, Thankfully, that's not that common. They'd be the the main causes in women. So ovulation problems, endometriosis and infection. Then there are lesser, less common things like fibroids and polyps that a woman can have in her womb and her uterus that can interfere with an embryo implanting. Ovarian cysts as well, you know, but they'd be less common. Okay, and then for men, what would the issues be? They can have, you know, surgery to their testicle. Um, Some men are born with their testes not done in their scrotum and surgery needs to be done when they're a child. If it's done when they're too old to bring down their testis, then it can affect the sperm production in their testicles. Really bad injuries or trauma to their testicle can be difficult. Infections, as mentioned, like chlamydia can affect sperm counts. Sometimes testosterone and anabolic steroids. So a lot of men or young men can be going to a gym and taking substances to increase what they think is increasing their virility and it can actually reduce their sperm counts. So you need to be careful about that. And then a lot of male issues are unexplained. There can be rare genetic causes of male infertility as well, where, you know, they're not producing sperm. But the vast majority of sperm issues are unexplained. We do know that lifestyle issues like obesity, smoking, um, excessive alcohol, they all affect sperm quality as well. So and one of the problems is that a man, there isn't an easy way for a man to know whether he has a sperm issue unless he has a sperm test. So. It's often just picked up when he actually does decide he wants to have a family or help someone get pregnant. And Mary, when you talk about those lifestyle issues, they relate to the woman as well, I'm sure. Absolutely. They're quite. And that's something that you have control of, I guess. You could make changes or you can make changes if you need to. Absolutely. Now, it's not easy to make those changes. We know cigarettes are extremely addictive. It's hard to cut down alcohol, especially in an Irish society where our perception of what's normal is a bit skewed yeah <laughs> and you know lose uh, trying to lose weight or even to put on weight if you're underweight is really difficult yeah. so they're not easy things to do and again the sooner people know about those issues and work to try to prevent them rather you know 
to not take up smoking or to try and control your weight from an early age helps, you know, prevents problems down the line, maybe. Yeah. And just to say to our listeners, we have some information on hse.ie if they did need help with smoking or with alcohol or with diet. Um, and there are programs that can help people make lifestyle changes. So it's good for them to know that. And that's one of the big advantages of having this new service, which is integrated into the public hospital system and into the, you know, where we can, you know, hopefully people can access holistic care. Yeah. Um, And Mary, just going on to the new service then, just can you tell us a little bit about the story of this? Because from reading around this subject for in preparation for the podcast, I realised that Ireland was behind quite a bit in relation to the other European countries in relation to the free services that we're offering. But these new fertility hubs are free and people can access them. But how can they access them or what happens if they find they have a fertility issue? What's the first steps? Let's talk through the steps maybe of the whole process. Yeah. So I suppose over the years, there's always been fertility, you know, fertility services around the country, but they've been very disorganized and and patchy and and no organized structured system. So a lot of work in the last few years has been done by NWIP in the HSE, the department in the HSE that's looking after it just to organize the public services in our hospitals. So we now have six fertility hubs based around the country, three in Dublin, one in Cork, one in Limerick and one in Galway. GPs are also part of the, you know, the whole health system in Ireland. So we know that, you know, for all medical conditions, usually we recommend that people see their GP first and the GP will do an an initial assessment and help someone decide whether they need and how long should people wait? Like, how, how is so, there guidelines on, on when yeah. you should, like, you mightn't get pregnant the first month, but exactly. how long do you wait? Yeah, no, that's really you? important. So again, um, this is all part of structuring a service so everybody knows. So if a heterosexual couple are trying to conceive and the woman is under 35, then if they feel that they're normal and they're not aware of any problems. So if the woman's getting regular periods, she has no history of major gynecological problems, neither of them have had cancer treatment, you know, they're, they're healthy, then they've got an 80 to 90 percent chance of getting pregnant within a year. So we don't want to see those couples going to their GP or going to the hubs unless they've been trying for a year okay. to get pregnant. If the woman's over 35, as I said earlier, fertility is beginning to reduce. So those couples should go and see their GP after six months if they're not pregnant. Then if couples know that they have a likely problem, like if a woman knows she her periods are very irregular or that she has endometriosis or that she has Crohn's disease and she's had loads and loads of surgery in her pelvis or a man knows he's had cancer treatment or he's had chlamydia or, you know, then they should see their GP earlier and get, and they will be referred earlier. So the GP sees them, does an assessment, and then if they meet those criteria of, you know, been trying for a year, trying for six months or depending on their age, or if they have a significant fertility issue, they can then be referred to a fertility hub. Okay, so supposing I'm one of those people who we've gone to the GP, we have identified there's an issue between us, we go to the hub, what's the hub going to offer me? So then the hub will do special fertility related testing. So the hub will do a semen analysis for the male partner and will do some hormone blood tests, including an AMH for the woman. AMH is a blood test that we do to check, to get an idea how many eggs a woman has left in her ovaries because we're born with our eggs and they gradually diminish as time goes on. So it gives you an idea how 
how many eggs she has left. It doesn't give you an idea whether she's going to get pregnant or not, but it gives you a bit of an idea as to how much time she okay. has. Yeah. Um, we'll also do an ultrasound scan looking for ovarian cysts, looking for endometriosis, you know, endometriosis cysts, looking for fibroids, you know, to check that the woman's womb is normal. Um, okay. Then they can also do a test to check the woman's fallopian tubes to make sure there's no blockage. Not everyone needs that test, but if there's any suspicion that there might be damage to her tubes or if we're considering simple fertility treatments, then checking her fallopian tubes with either an X-ray called a HSG or a hysterosalpingogram or an ultrasound called a HICOSI, where we inject dye into the woman's fallopian tubes and, and, and monitor it, make sure the dye comes through. So they're the main tests that are done. In and the Mary, are they all, are they, they're free? They're all completely free. They're done wow. in the public hospital, like all treatments in public hospitals. If the man needs to be referred to a urologist or a specialist in male issues, that can be done within the public system. If a woman has endometriosis or has cysts and needs surgery, that can be done in the public system, you know, either by the doctors in the hub or by doctors in the same hospital. So all the people working in the hubs are trained in infertility. That's the doctors, but also the nurses. So they're all trained in ultrasound scanning and infertility. So, you know, for the first time, we have a, an organized system, you know, with all these hubs being resourced to be able to provide these tests. Whereas before, you know, some hospitals were able to do semen analysis, others weren't. Some were able to do scans, others weren't, you know, so that's all being centralised now. So I think it's really great. Yeah, so this should make, it's it's a difficult journey as it is, but this should hopefully make the continuity of the journey easier yeah. on the people yeah. who need and, the service. you know, we can have the same standard of care yeah. in, around, all around the country. So yeah. it's, it's a really they, positive development. Yeah. yeah, and Mary, do they get psychological or, you know, it, you know, it, it's such a traumatic or it sounds yeah. to me like anybody that I know who's gone through fertility treatment, it's got such a psychological impact on them. Is there counselling? Is there? Unfortunately, at the moment, the system isn't funded to provide counsellors. That's certainly a hope for down the track. But I mean, they get, you know, nurses. And again, because we have specially trained fertility nurses, that's a huge help, I think, because, you know, they're aware of the issues. So they will talk very sensitively to people. Certainly in the future, it would be great to see dedicated fertility counsellors in all the hubs. And that's, as I said, the ambition, but we don't have that at the moment. Okay. But I could imagine throughout the treatment, because everybody is working in those hubs, that's their area. That's their area of expertise. They're probably counselling people as they're going along anyway, through every procedure and through every visit and through every appointment. So, and they're experts in their area. So I'm sure that that does help or will help couples. Yes. I know it's not officially kind of a counsellor, but it's still counselling them in in a roundabout way as well as part of the overall treatment, I'm sure. Yeah, I I think just knowing that there is a service and that there is some hope for them, that makes a huge difference as well. And I suppose that brings us on to the public funding for fertility treatments. Um, You know, I think that psychologically will make such a difference to people. Um, Do you have to go through your GP or can you self-refer on to these hubs? That mechanism we were describing, you know, is is where you have to go. So you have to go to your GP and then your GP refers you to your local hub and then the hub does all the tests and the assessment, discusses the options with you. And then in partnership with the doctors and nurses in the hub, you'll decide, you know, that you need either surgery or, as I said, if you're not ovulating, you may need drugs to to get you ovulating. And that can all be done in the hub. Then if you need what we call assisted reproduction, then you need to be referred on to a private provider. 
and I suppose by assisted reproduction, we mean treatments where you're actually taking eggs or sperm and manipulating them in a laboratory and doing fertility treatments like IUI and IVF. I was just about to ask you about those because it's mind boggling the number of acronyms. When you talk about fertility, there's IVF, ICSI, there's all of these. So maybe we could talk them through one by one, because I think that in general, people think fertility treatment is IVF. That's what they know. I think that's just the name that's bandied around. But I'm sure that there's, you know, by the sounds of it, there's a lot more. So maybe we just talk about IVF first. And then we can go through the others because I certainly don't know what they what they all entail. Okay, so I suppose AHR or ART are AHR means assisted human reproduction. And that's kind of an an umbrella term for treatments where you're taking sperm or taking eggs into the laboratory and manipulating them in the laboratory and doing fertility treatments. So the simplest AHR treatment is IUI which stands for intrauterine insemination. So intrauterine means into the uterus or into the womb. And insemination is when we're dealing with sperm or semen. So IUI is the simplest treatment where we get the man to do a sperm sample and then we prepare that in the lab. Some people call it washing, but it's really preparing it to select out the best sperm. And then when the woman is ovulating, we usually give her drugs and scan her so that we know when she's ovulating. When she's ovulating, we get the man's prepared sperm sample and using a a very fine tube and an examination, a bit like a smear test, we insert the sperm into her womb. The sperm still has to get up into her fallopian tube. And as I said before, the sperm and the egg have to meet up in the fallopian tube, fertilize, form an embryo, and then that needs to come back down into her womb. That's the least invasive. That's the least invasive and the simplest. And it's not suitable for everyone. It's really only suitable for younger couples and for women where we know that their fallopian tubes are normal and where this man's sperm is is normal or virtually normal. So that's IUI. It's also called artificial insemination. Then IVF is the next treatment. And IVF is more complicated because you're actually getting the man's sperm like you do for IUI, but in IVF, you're also getting the woman's eggs. So the woman has to undergo a surgical procedure called an egg collection, where we remove the eggs from her ovary. In order to do that, we need to give her fertility drugs beforehand to stimulate oh, yeah. her ovaries. So this is what you hear so about. So this is why she needs yeah. to take injections for a week or two first. Okay. And then when and then she has scans and we can see the Eggs develop in what we call follicles, which are like little cysts that you can see on the scan. And when they get to the right size, then we remove the eggs. And then in the laboratory, they take the man's sperm, the woman's eggs, and put the eggs and sperm together in the laboratory. And then they're put in dishes in an incubator and left overnight. And the next day we'll see some of the eggs will have been fertilized by the sperm. And then you wait over the next few days, then a, a fertilized egg is one cell. Then it divides into two cells and at that stage it's called an embryo. And then those two cells divide into four cells, four divide into eight. Well, And, this and is that's the, an embryo. Yeah. And this is what you were saying earlier, that you can now, because of technology, you can watch this happening. Absolutely. Yeah. So it does sound absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Is. Except that, you know, not every egg gets yeah. fertilized. Not every 
fertilized egg forms an embryo. Not every embryo is a good embryo. Not every good embryo forms a baby. So it's wonderful, but it, it's also stressful, very yeah. stressful. But then after three or five days, we have embryos, hopefully. And then we usually pick one of those embryos and put it back into the woman's uterus. And then hopefully it will implant in her uterus and form a pregnancy. So that's basically what IVF involves. If, if the couple have more than one embryo, we can freeze the extra embryos um, so that if the first one that we've put back doesn't work, they can come back and use their frozen embryos. ICSI, or what you called ICSI, I suppose we, we tend to call it ICSI, is another treatment, but it's really a type of IVF. So the whole procedure for the woman is the same, taking the drugs, having the egg collection. The only difference is, is how the eggs and the sperm are managed in the lab. So in standard IVF, the eggs are put into a dish with about 100,000 sperm around each egg and one of the sperm will overnight hopefully fertilize the egg. With ICSI, you actually pick a sperm and you inject one sperm into each egg. Oh, wow. That doesn't mean that the egg is fertilized. You still have to leave them overnight and... Fertilization means a, a complex reaction happening in the egg. So even though you inject the sperm, the egg and the sperm might not react with each other yeah, and might yeah. not fertilize. But so ICSI really is just a more specialized type of IVF. And it's used for couples where the sperm count is very low or the sperm aren't very motile or active or in rare cases where fertilization hasn't happened with standard IVF. And Mary, so people go to their GP the GP determines that, yes, we can refer you on to the hub. They then go to the hub. They can do all of these assessments and find out what and if. Because some people go to the hub and I guess they won't need these further treatments. No. And some people, yeah. even while they're having the tests, will get pregnant. You know, that often yeah. happens and it's fantastic oh when that God. happens. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. And some people will be treated at the hubs. So yes. with ovulation induction or you know, in the future, hopefully the hubs will be doing IUI as well. OK. Um, but at the moment, they're not. But if they, they can do, arrange surgery, if yeah. surgery is the treatment. Okay. If those treatments aren't what the people need or if those treatments are done and they don't work, then IUI or, or IVF are okay. often the next step. So then they refer them on for these yeah. other treatments. And all of this is still free. This is all. Yeah. This so is all under, you know, the, everything that happens in the hubs is free. OK. And those referrals on to the... Yeah. So now this is where it gets more complicated because there are what we call access criteria and they're quite strict. So IVF is very expensive. It's hugely labor intensive. So there's a huge amount of staff involved in every single IVF cycle. And if you think that, you know, we're dealing with these tiny eggs, tiny sperm that you can't even see without a microscope and they're forming embryos. And it's so important to make sure They're all kept separately so that there are no mix ups in the laboratory. It's really time. It's, you know, the embryologists work in the lab have such attention to detail and it's such a so it's a really expensive procedure. The technology is expensive as well, but it's mostly the staff costs. So the state can't fund unlimited IVF for everybody and very few countries can do that. But most countries will have certain criteria that certain people are eligible Ireland has started off with quite a restrictive process because I suppose the view was that we'd start simple and make sure we could provide it. And yes. then we'll, ex- you know, the plan is to expand the services as time goes on. And I suppose, Mary, I, the thing is, we have started. Yeah. Like it's a stepping stone. We're getting yeah. there. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's such progress. Yeah. I'm sure that for you, after all of these years working within the fertility area to see this happening, it must be great. 
It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but we need to keep going. Of and, course. you know, so we have criteria and at the moment they are, as I said, quite strict. So it only applies to couples who have their own sperm and their own eggs. So if anyone, like whether they're heterosexual, the same sex or single, if they need donor eggs or donor sperm, then those treatments aren't covered. So we're talking really about, by and large, heterosexual couples who have their own eggs and their own sperm. They can't have a child already, so they have to have no child together. One of them could have a child from a previous relationship, All right. but at least one of them must have no child. So they can't have a child in their current relationship. Um, the woman needs to be under 41 when she was referred by her GP to the hub. Yeah. So before the GP needs to refer before she is 41, 41. Yeah. In order to to get IVF treatment yes. or IUI, she can still be referred to the hub up to the age of 43, but she won't be eligible. For she'll get the first stage of the like in the hub. Yeah, she'll get those investigations or when she's under 43. Yeah, but but she won't be eligible for IVF. And then the man must be under 60. Then they must be resident in Ireland. And then BMI is another big one, I suppose. So. Oh, what's BMI? BMI is a is body mass index. All right. It's an increasingly unpopular term because a lot of people feel it's it's categorizing people. But I suppose it's a it's a measure of of, of people's weight. And we know that being very overweight increases your risks significantly if you're pregnant. It also affects the success of fertility treatments. So the access criteria around weight are that to be referred to a hub. A woman needs to have a BMI less than 35 and to actually get IUI or IVF treatment, her BMI needs to be 30 or under. So I'm sure that's quite a Which contentious is quite, it's very, subject. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we know there are lots of arguments that BMI isn't a good marker of obesity or weight, healthy, of a healthy weight, but it's the most standard marker that we can have. So we're aware that this is very upsetting for people. On the other hand, we know that from all the studies internationally, that if women who are overweight lose up to 10 percent of their weight, over 50 percent of them will get pregnant just okay. by doing that. So yeah. there are major health issues around it. And it's I suppose it's trying to do that in a sensitive way because we know that obesity is a, you know, is a medical condition as well. Yes. If people don't choose. And we've just done a overweight. podcast on obesity as well for any of our yeah. listeners. If so they want that's to listen a really on difficult that. one. But, you know, this is the beginning of our service and we've looked at the medical evidence around this. And okay. those are the criteria at the moment. The other people that I wanted to ask you about, because everybody isn't heterosexual, obviously. So what about LGBTQ plus and other couples or other people or single people who want to have a baby themselves and sperm donation and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, Nothing so like that is. Can we can you get that in Ireland? So this is a huge area and, and an, a hugely, you know, an area that's increasing all around the world, you know, where people can have children outside of the traditional male and female yeah. relationship. So single women or women in a same sex relationship need to get sperm from somewhere. So they need to avail of donor sperm. There are some heterosexual people who might need donor sperm as well. So some men have sperm related issues that can't be treated, even with IVF and ICSI and doing testicular biopsies. And, and so some men do need, you know, donor sperm as well. Then women who are getting older often need donor eggs because they've missed the boat with their yeah. own egg. So donor egg treatment do and donor 
sperm treatments do happen in Ireland at the moment in the private sector. But they're sector, not covered under this in the state in the system at the moment. Yeah. And the main reasoning behind that is because we're waiting for legislation in this area to okay. come in um, before it's rolled out in the public system. And do you think system. it will be rolled out in the public system or is that a difficult question no, for well, you to that, answer? That's, that's definitely the plan. And that's I the think plan. That's certainly what that's everyone really wants to do. But yeah. we feel that that if we're going to provide it as a public service, that there needs to be appropriate legislation around it. There is some legislation at the moment around donor treatments, and that's why they are done legally in the private sector. But there are issues like how many families can you make from one sperm donor? Those kind of issues of need course. to be sorted out in the legislation. And hopefully that legislation is going to come through in the next year or two. Oh, very good. And just Mary talking about the whole psychological impact that difficulty with fertility has on people. I'm sure you've seen over the years the impact on people maybe who yeah. it, fertility treatment doesn't work for. Yeah, no, you know, um, I suppose unless you've been through it yourself, it's hard to say, but, you know, it's all around us. Children are all around us, like you go into a restaurant and there are children or you're on a bus and there are children. And if you're there and you desperately, desperately want to have a child and know that you can give a child a really good life and, you know, contribute to society and all that. It's yeah. absolutely heartbreaking because it's in your face everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, you know, and women talk about getting their period month after month after month. And, you know, they'll have been trying. They'll have, you know, the, their partners are afraid to ask them how they got their period. Yeah. They're, you know, thinking, how can I go home and tell John that my period's come again? It hasn't worked. We're not pregnant. Yeah. You know, and then people go through all of that for years trying, they can go through cycle after cycle of IVF and then they can get pregnant and then they can have a miscarriage. You know, yes. it's just heartbreaking. The um, trauma that's involved in it must yeah. be just phenomenal. And then partner, it's really difficult on relationships because men often feel bad, especially if they're doing IVF because the woman is injecting herself every day, has to go through And you hear those stories, changes. we do hear those stories yeah. in the media of yeah. people and the difficulty of injecting themselves every day yeah. and the guilt and the blame and oh my goodness, it's a minefield. Yeah. And then, you know, often the, the reason might be a sperm reason. Yeah. Uh, so the man is feeling doubly because it's his sperm. You yeah, know, of course. It's, it's, and then the woman is trying to you know, jolly him along and he's trying to jolly her along. And it's it's just really difficult. And then, you know, you've couples, say women who have endometriosis where sex is very painful. And then on top of that, they're having to have sex at the particular time every month. It's not, you know, it's it's very hard to keep up any kind of spontaneity in a sexual relationship. If you're if you've been trying to get pregnant for two years and you're trying every single month and it's not working and it's, you know, it's really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and what do you think about the attitudes in Ireland as well? I feel myself that things have improved, but in relation to fertility and all of these different areas, do you think that it has improved or have you seen the general, I suppose, oh, yeah, yeah. public? Yeah, I, I mean, there's been a huge change. Yeah. Like Ireland now is unrecognisable <laughs> from what it was 20 years ago, especially around sexual issues and anything yeah. to do with reproductive health. So, you know, now couples come in for an embryo transfer, they're having IVF and their parents are at home or maybe drive them into the clinic or waiting to hear how it all goes. Whereas before, people would have been afraid to mention it. They're so um, ashamed. They were so ashamed yeah, before yeah. if they weren't So there's much to... more openness, which is really good. Yeah. But it still doesn't take away from the trauma. And, uh, you know, if you've just had a baby yourself and had no problems getting pregnant or you've maybe had your third baby and you yeah. know that your best friend or your sister has had two cycles of IVF that haven't worked, mm. 
it's hard for you to be, you know, happy about your baby and showing off your baby of to course, your sister yeah. when you know that they're struggling. So, you know, it really does. And then, you know, the would be grandparents get involved and lots of people because we don't have public funding or haven't had it. Uh, lots of people borrow from their parents to yeah. pay from IVF. So it's a whole intergenerational thing, the whole family and the, their whole yeah. network is involved at of some course. level. And yeah. I think even as well, from what I've seen, that even as people get older, they still have that sense of loss because they haven't had that baby that they maybe had wanted in their 30s, you know, or 40s or whatever. And that even when they get into their 50s and 60s, there is still that sense of loss if they haven't had the opportunity. So it is it does follow people through their whole life. I think the impact of it. Yeah, it can do. Yeah. I mean, for most people, if they can yeah. access treatment and and I suppose this is where I keep going back to, and, you know, people trying to optimize their chances yes. and not leaving it too late and trying, you know, and get the word it out there. is an absolute miracle when it yeah. does happen. And it's so wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know the numbers at one in five have issues, but then I think are one in six. And then you said to me, but that means that five, five and six people don't have issues. Exactly. So I thought that was a really good point because we always look on the, oh, one in six. So therefore means, well, five out of those six don't have issues. So, I mean, that's the positive side of yeah. it. You and know? I think to focus on that, yeah, you know, yeah. to try and get that education out there so that people can optimize it and, and hopefully do their best to be in the five out of the six. Absolutely. And Mary, for the future then of fertility in Ireland, and I know you, we were saying that this is a stepping stone, this hubs, and it is a really great development and there's legislations to come through. But if you had a kind of a magic wand, is there key things that you'd really like to see happening or what would you like to see first? What would be the priorities for you in relation to fertility treatment in Ireland? And I suppose state funded fertility treatment. Yeah, so I think we've made a really good start now and, you know, I really, I really hope that this continues and that we build up the hubs and get them functioning, you know, with short waiting lists and really effectively and that we have adequate funding for most people to have an opportunity to have at least two children or, you know, that would be the yeah. ideal. I think it all has to start back further and, you know, we really need education in schools and as I said, to teenagers, young people about fertility as well as contraception, we've done really well with educating people around contraception. And I think even around safe sex, we need to keep up those messages, but we also need to educate them around fertility and and help people to have that as part of their life planning that, you know, yeah. from an early age that they're thinking if I want to have kids, I don't just assume that I'm going to have kids mm. like a Barbie doll. I plan it a little bit and, you know, have it in discussions at an early age and that we help people. And it all, you know, it's a, such a huge area because things like childcare and housing, those things come into it as well. And we really, you know, we need to make sure our society survives and it's not just global warming, but we're yeah. at risk as well if we don't make sure that we can keep our population going. And that is becoming an issue in lots of countries, you know. So there are studies showing that it makes sense for countries to invest in assisted reproduction and in reproductive medicine because we need we need to them keep to our population. We need them going. to look after us as when we're getting older we and do. older. We yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely do. Yeah. yeah. Mary, I'd really like to thank you for joining us today. The amount of experience that you have and the amount of knowledge that you have around the subject is quite amazing. And you explain it in very 
understandable terms. So thank you very much for that. Thanks very much, Noreen. So a message for our listeners is really if you are having difficulty with fertility problems, first of all, go to your GP, have a conversation. If they do an assessment and they refer you on to one of the fertility hubs, then there is options there for people. And we'd also like to signpost people to the hse.ie forward slash fertility. That's hse.ie forward slash fertility so that they can find out additional information about this subject. If you'd like to get in touch with us about the podcast, please send us an email at healthandwellbeing.communications at hse.ie. And that email address is in the podcast information wherever you are listening to this. As always, we ask that please share this episode with a colleague or friend who you may think would benefit from it or who may be interested in this topic. Thank you very much for listening and hopefully you'll join us again.